Cat Radio, KZCT, 89.5 FM. Tove, good evening. You're listening to Oscat Radio, 89.5 FM. I am Ray Z. And I am Rachel. And I'm Tova. And this is Koldavar, your place on the radio for all things Jewish. 
Well, we have a great show for you tonight. We're going to be playing songs about time. That's our theme tonight. So Hebrew, English, all about, and I think maybe even a Yiddish song about time. And we're also going to be interviewing a guest. Yes. I'm so glad that I, I can introduce our guest. This is Rabbi Lori Matskin, and she's a local from the Bay Area. She's five generations uh, living in San Francisco. I think that's amazing. I'm first generation. Um, she went to Temple Isaiah in Lafayette, um, where her family lives. She studied classical music and Jewish studies, and after that, she went to Bloomington in Indiana, and that's where you graduate. That's where you graduate. That's where you got your revenue from. I, I studied music and oh, Jewish studies in Indiana. And, and classical music and Jewish studies in, in Indiana. Right. After that, she was part of Hillel for two years, and then she went to rabbinical school in Los Angeles, and she was ordained as a Jewish, a Jewish, of course, a, a conservative as rabbi, as kind of rabbi. <laughs> another kind of rabbi, um, at the Ziegler School in 2009. Um, she was uh, the rabbi director of lifelong learning at Kol Amet in Palo Alto, and she is currently on a sabbatical doing a million things, and we're going to hear from her and find out all the things that she's doing and has done. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, I think our first song, we're going to start with some music. On our theme is uh, Bill Haley and the Comets, Rock Around the Clock. That um, mentions all kinds of different times. Uh, if you're familiar with our show, every music that we play has to have some sort of Jewish connection, no matter how tenuous it might be. In this case, it is Max Friedman and James E. Myers uh, who wrote the uh, the song. Uh, after that, we have a song called Craig, no, by Craig Taubom. Taubman. Well, really, we're not doing that one. We're going to do... Um, Vanity Fair, Hitchin' a Ride. Uh, it mentions a, uh, a, it's nearly one, and here am I, Hitchin' a Ride. It was recorded on Reprise Records, which was founded by Frank Sinatra, who was a lifelong friend of Israel and the Jewish people. And um, then we'll come back, I think, and talk with the rabbi. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock, we're gonna rock around the clock tonight. But you should have rags up, join me home.
Welcome back to Coldivar. That was Vanity Fair doing Hitchin' a Ride. And before that, we heard Bill Haley and his comets singing Rock Around the Clock. We're doing songs about time. And now we're going to talk with our guest, our lady rabbi friend. Uh, you do a lot of stuff around music. That's true. So this works perfect. Um, what what does music? How does music and being a rabbi tie in together? It's a great question. It really is a story of my personal history. I started playing the flute going into third grade. My father was a musician growing up, played many different instruments. And for his 40th birthday, uh, instead of getting a bunch of gag gifts, because back then 40 was over the hill, uh, my mom had all their friends put a few dollars into the flute case and got the flute cleaned up and bought him a few months of lessons. And so when I was in second grade, there started to be regular music in the house. And by third grade, it was time for us to start band. I think it's a little later these days, but I obviously picked up the flute and we shared the flute for for many years uh, until I... surpassed him and he would coach me from the rocking chair for many years and is still a big supporter of all things Jewish music and all things classical music. So I started my classical journey very early. I also grew up, as Ray said, at Temple Isaiah, very involved with sort of spiritual um, seeking and Shabbat services. I would put on a dress to go to Hebrew school when I was little, just on my own, feeling like there was something special going on. And as I got older, uh, those two paths became more and more connected for me. Um, I remember at our confirmation service back in 1995, uh, the classmates put together a whole musical soundtrack, really, that we played live. Matovu, Michamoha, all sorts of different music uh, from the Jewish camp world and the, the wider Jewish world and played it during our our Shavuot morning service. And since then, I've been playing on the Bima uh, as part of leading services for many years and really found that classical music was a nice background into the Jewish music world, which is, in back, which is a path into spiritual seeking and spiritual depth that not the words themselves aren't always able to access. So... So is it the is it the um, lyrics or is it the tune or is there something else about music? Is there certain kinds of music that can help a person get into a spiritual place? I think there are different styles that play different roles in our spiritual life. Uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about, I think, is is Shabbat music and the different times of day of Shabbat, entering Shabbat, leaving Shabbat. You know, we start the Jewish Sabbath as the sun starts to go down, and we finish 25 hours later when there are three stars out. So really have an expanded day. And over the course of that day, and of course our, our theme today is time and times of day, we have different spiritual modalities, and the music can and support us getting into those modalities. So as we start Shabbat, we might try to slow down from the craziness of the week and the hustle and all the technology and start to get into a more plaintive mode that can lead us into joy, into maybe an, a climax of Lachado D, for example, really taking on Shabbat and really celebrating this spiritual high as a community um, all the way through the next day all the way through Saturday different times of day and different services and ending with uh, a bittersweet 
uh, nostalgia maybe for the Shabbat that just ended and recommitting to our values for the week to come. And a, a song can do that. Absolutely. If we play some examples for you, is that possible? Which one? Right. So we could start with uh, a track called Yadid Nefesh. It's a, it's a very ancient prayer from Sfat. It's the opening prayer of Friday night services. And it's interesting, it's four stanzas. And the, each stanza, the first letter in Hebrew spells out one of the names of God. So as we're coming from a fragmented life and a fragmented week, we start to unify our soul, unify with our community, and hope that God can spiritually unify through our prayers as well. So this is an example of a community coming together, the very first prayer on a Friday night. And from there we can move into some different tones as that uh, that time goes on. You'll hear it's almost a waltz. It's almost a, a coming together of, of mind and heart. So that was Shira Hadashah, and I, I do want to point out that something I love about Jewish music is an accessibility. You don't have to be a chazan or a cantor. You don't have to be a trained singer or musician. You don't have to have gone to music school to be able to experience and participate in making Jewish music. You could hear in that track that it's untrained voices, but coming together in harmony, in community, and really listening to find different tones and different uh, melodic combinations where everyone can have a moment to shine, but it's not really about ego. So I want to contrast that to the next uh, prayer in the Friday night service, Lechuna Ranana, which is the first, the opening line of the seven psalms leading into Shabbat. So there are six psalms going through each day of the week, and then we climax with entering Shabbat. And so this says, come, let us sing together. Let us praise God. Let's come together as a community and realize our gratitude and our spiritual connection. So the Solomon brothers and the father, who's Ben Sion Solomon, uh, are part of the Karlbach movement and the Shlomo Karlbach Moshav, uh, Moshav Modi'in outside Jerusalem, where there was a lot of music and harmonizing uh, really in the air. And so the Solomon brothers have really made a career out of being Jewish musicians. And this track is a little bit more towards the trained voice and planning out the harmonies, but 
many, many synagogues and services throughout the world use this melody and this set of melodies, which come from Shlomo Karlbach, um, to get into Shabbat together. So again, still melodious, room for harmony, but not necessarily musically sophisticated in the sense that you need training to participate. Okay, that was that was lovely, and that so that is going to be that would be used to help transition into Shabbat. Yeah, so that would be a melody that could be a trope almost in the Friday night prayer service. So if I'm the prayer leader, we would all do our mumble 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 through a bunch of the psalm, and then maybe add a little diamond or a little square in the prayer book. That would be the cue for the leader to start that melody. So I, if I was leading, would actually start singing. Which is what we just heard. And my congregation, whether it's 10 people in my apartment or whether it's 2,000 people at a huge, beautiful synagogue, would, would join me and kind of back me up, but be part of that melodic and liturgical moment. Are there, are there local examples of this uh, type of liturgical music? Yeah, one wonderful example is from my friend Brian, who is the, I'm blanking Brian on your last name at the moment, but it'll come to me in a moment. We were just texting yesterday. Uh, but Brian is the musical director and has been for many years at Hochmat Halev, which is a Jewish renewal uh, congregation in Berkeley, trained classical uh, pianist, he gives music lessons, he's a meditation teacher, and he's brought that compositional style into the Hochmat music. So the style is Jewish renewal, which you'll hear is intense in a very different way. A, more of a use of classical music, more trained singers, um, more composition involved. And what we're going to hear is Hodia. And at Hochmat, they've been using this melody to punctuate between those six psalms of Shabbat. Um, it's another line of gratitude of saying, let's express and acknowledge how wonderful it is to be in that spiritual place and to move through Shabbat deeper and deeper into consciousness. So you'll hear some beautiful piano and interesting melodic choices.
Okay, that was that's interesting. So I, I'm wondering um, if there are levels of, of uh, Jewish observance uh, that would object to such use of, of music. So the short answer is yes, <laughs> and there's a longer answer. So between the tracks we've heard so far, the first two were a cappella, right? The the warm-ups for Shabbat, they were just voices, and it was really about um, the voice as an instrument. So when people say, oh, I don't support music on Shabbat, I like to say, I think what you're saying is you don't support the use of musical instruments outside the voice on Shabbat because there's music has been an integral part of our spiritual experience <clears throat> since the time of the Levites in the temple, if not earlier. At the same time, the use of instruments of physical, what they call clay shear or um, vessels of music is a little more controversial. Um, there are a few halachic or legal reasons for that, uh, that the conservative movement has certainly looked at in the more modern era and given support for making different decisions halachically. The Orthodox community uh, still divides on that point of no instruments, um, and the Reform movement has chosen the spirit of the law over the letter of the law and feels that the gifts that instrumentation can provide the soul are so valuable on Shabbat that it transcends any uh, legal restrictions. So as a conservative rabbi who grew up in the reform movement uh, and is comfortable in other situations as well, I'll focus on uh, the conservative movement and the specific issues halachically. So one issue is really an emotional issue, which is that since the temple was destroyed the second time in 70 CE and the main diaspora started for the Jewish community, we are supposed to be in a state of mourning. And there's an understanding that psychically, if you will, the use of instruments brings us such joy, such pleasure that it would bring us out of that state of mourning, that we would be so celebratory that we might lose sense of the sadness that we can't serve God as purely as when we were in the temple. Now, that argument comes in a few different ways, such as observing minor fast days. And the creation of the modern state of Israel, again, is controversial in terms of whether that's a manifestation of the Jewish community in its homeland, in its glory, right? Like a equivalent of the temple or in some less Zionist Orthodox communities, it's really not considered anything but a political, almost block, right? That the political sovereignty of the state is not equivalent to the temple. So, for example, the conservative movement has some areas where we don't hold every fast quite as intensely, every minor fast, but that sense of, you know, we have the state of Israel. There is something to be grateful for. We've really come back to our homeland and need to acknowledge that as modern Zionists. So too with instruments, that there's a, a sense that we don't really need to be in mourning and that that celebration of Shabbat really can take precedence over a state of mourning. It, it occurs to me that uh, that that description of celebration and mourning kind of um, happening at the same time, it kind of describes Jewish music, doesn't it? Klezmer music. Yeah, 
I think you're onto something in the Phrygian mode. The Phrygian, not frigid, but Phrygian, which is one of the, the musical modes where you have uh, a flat third and a sharp seventh, I believe. So the, the uh, increments of the scale have certain kinds of jumps. And we'll hear maybe some examples of Phrygian um, melodies being used. So, Shalom Aleichem Aleichem Hasharet. Excuse my voice, but that's the example. So you'll hear twinges of Phrygian music. It's much more in klezmer. uh, And you can sense that within the joy of celebrating God and celebrating the chasana or the wedding or whatever in Eastern Europe, there is a reality of, like, we're kind of stuck in this crappy situation here as this minority who's fairly oppressed and fairly impoverished in some situations. So Brian Schachterbrooks, his melody, Hodia, that we heard, really goes into a a major key. And there's a lot of examples uh, on our playlist where we really transcend that Phrygian mode so completely that we say, hey, let's just celebrate in C major and G major. Let's, Let's go all the way. Let me go back to your original question. Another reason that instruments were halachically frowned upon has to do with fixing. We know that our rabbis want us to be here now on Shabbat. They don't want us to futz. They don't want us to fix. They don't want us to call people that we're not in the same room with. They just want us to be present. They don't want us to fill up our gas, even if it's for the excuse of going to shul, because that's kind of an engagement in the non-here and now. And that really stems from being in the camp in the desert, the the machane, and just staying within those boundaries. So if my guitar string breaks because I'm playing Ramamu, which we'll hear next, Craig Taubman's Ramamu from Friday Night Live, that's what it was composed for in LA. Uh, if I'm playing that so intensely that my G string breaks, uh, I'm not really supposed to fix that string on Shabbat. And the rabbis in the Middle Ages realized that it's so tempting for instrumentalists to fix their broken instrument. You know, there's a, there's a famous story about, I think, Yitzhak Perlman going on and playing with all these broken strings and making beautiful music and, and sort of making a drosh, a, a metaphor out of that. But most of us want a complete instrument to play with. So they say... If there's going to be an inclination to fix something broken, don't engage with it at all. Some people say that's why you shouldn't ride a bike on Shabbat. Because if your chain comes off or something happens, you get a flat tire, you kind of got to fix it or you're stranded on the bike path. Um, so that's another distancing from, in- from um, using instruments on Shabbat. The final piece is about carrying, and that also goes back to my be here now metaphor of only use what you need to for your spiritual sustenance on Shabbat. If I'm carrying my flute uh, all the way across town, um, it could fall off my back, I could drop it, the case could open, it could get stolen whatever the case may be, it's just another barrier to being present. So this is one reason you'll see uh, in a community that doesn't have an Eruv, for example, people leaving their talit, their prayer shell, at the synagogue. So they're not carrying it, right? Or leaving their uh, shofar on Rosh Hashanah there beforehand. One one less thing to worry about. And if you're worrying, you're not in the moment. That's right. And again, that's sort of my modern new agey way of saying something that is from the Mishnah and from the Talmud and from the legal codes.
Did you have a question? No, no, I'm impressed. Yeah, me too. So what what did you want to have us listen to next and what, what for? Sure. So we're going to listen to Ramemu, which is written many decades ago by one of my mentors, Craig Taubman. Craig started his career as a song leader at Camp Ramon, California. He wrote for Disney, Disney Kids Music, uh, for years and then kind of found his way and his roots back into Jewish liturgical music. So Craig partnered with Rabbi David Wolpe for many years to lead and create a service at Sinai Temple, uh, Wilshire and Beverly Glen in LA, called Friday Night Live. It was targeted to young adults, 20s and 30s, singles. They had bar nights afterwards. They had performances as part of it. And it was really a uh, a musical, almost concert-like worship experience. And this synagogue was an example of being on the left, being on the liberal end of these interpretations of using music, that a strong, melodic, harmonic, instrumental experience helps the soul, the neshama, experience Shabbat so much that it's worth it. So here's a classic Craig Taubman Ramaymu that's done even a cappella all over the world now.
Okay, so um, what are we going to try to, to understand next? Well, we're hoping to look at the diaspora and cultural influences of Jews living all over the world. And we're hoping to do a new technology by plugging in my iPhone. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, cool. So okay. we're going to hear um, something that that illustrates the diaspora in music? Yes. So we are going to a wonderful composer and musician named Yuval Rohn, an Israeli, who has an ensemble bringing a lot of uh, Middle Eastern instruments together. And, of course, since the diaspora that we spoke about before at 70 CE, Jews have spread out all over the place, which we know. And the modern state of Israel has brought many different so to speak, tribes back together. Um, and so we'll hear a few different influences. The first one is Drury Kra, which is a call for freedom of spirit, which is one of the Friday night Zmirot, which is another word for songs. And so you can imagine sitting around the Shabbos table after dinner and because there's nowhere else to be because we're so being here now uh all we can do is sing and tell stories and talk about the Torah portion and check in with each other so we're going to hear some middle eastern instruments and eventually we'll hear the the words to this so you were talking before about uh the the music versus the lyric and i think these are going to be examples where the musical experience of the wider regional um host community if you will in this case the wider middle east um affects the way we experience the words
that's an example of um, Middle Eastern influence on Jewish liturgical music. Exactly. Is there another? So I want to share with you my chavruta, my study partner from rabbinical school, uh, Rabbi Gershom Sizomu, who is now the chief rabbi of Uganda. He's Ugandan um, by birth. And we studied together from our Ulpan summer when we had to learn Hebrew in uh, eight weeks, I believe, <laughs> four weeks of biblical and four weeks of modern, starting rabbinical school, um, all the way through our ordination. And uh, Gershom actually is now in the Ugandan parliament. He's always had aspirations of making a political impact as well as a religious impact. And one of the projects, for example, that has gotten the Jewish community of Uganda is near Kampala, um, Nabagoya Hill, I think it's called, um, so much positive rapport in the wider community amongst the Christian and Muslim neighbors is working on health projects such as uh, malaria um, s- screens around the beds and different kinds of um, health care and building a health center and a hospital so that's been really great and he's able to mobilize and really make a positive difference or legoyim a light unto the nations um they've also really brought judaism to life in africa in a new way and gershom has uh bait midrash and a yeshiva training um young men and women from across Africa to come and be Jewish educators in their communities. They've converted hundreds of people who have come. Some of them have walked across countries to arrive in Uganda. So I wonder if this has any bearing on the new relationships being formed between Israel and many African nations. I I don't know if I can speak specifically, but I can tell you that the Jews of Uganda um, did not position themselves the way the Ethiopians were positioned in the sense of kind of desperately wanting to get to Israel. There's a a real sense of being um, almost secure in the diaspora and wanting to make that positive Jewish influence in their home. Um, so Gershom started, did a little bit of time at HUC, uh, Hebrew Union College, the Reform School, I think around the time of 9-11, and then came to Ziegler and brought his whole family, Daphna and Egal. He now has four children, but his wife Zipporah was a good friend of mine. We studied in Israel together where they had their third daughter. Um, and what's so amazing about Gershom is he's a real musician. Now, because he grew up in Africa, uh, he doesn't have a classical music background like me. He does not read music very much, very well, very sophisticatedly, but he has a great ear and he plays guitar and there's keyboards. And they've really written a whole genre of this African, Ugandan, um, really upbeat liturgical music and they use almost all of their own melodies in their shuls on Friday nights. So we talked about the Phrygian mode and that kind of minor, klezmer, desperate uh, mourning even in the celebration. Well, what we're going to hear for Adon Alam is totally major, very simple chord progressions, uh, untrained voices, just pure spirit and soul. And I want to also point out, we're talking about the diaspora, so you'll hear, instead of Adon Olam, 
which is the last song on Friday nights and Saturday mornings. Sometimes Yigdal is used. Adoni Olamu. And that's an influence of their dialect, of the Lugandan dialect. So it's almost like saying Ya'al. Shalom Alechem Ya'al. Right. So, so you'll hear Adoni Olamu, and it goes on through the whole song that there's, there's an influence of the host culture, if you are, or the culture where they live. So we'll hear Adon Alam, you'll hear a major key, you'll hear a very simple melody, but very inspiring, makes you want to go right now to Nabagoya Hill and celebrate <laughs> with our African brothers and sisters. Awesome. Just before we play that, I'd like to mention that you are listening to KZCT 89.5 FM in Vallejo, and our show is Cultivar. Oh, 
Okay, so that was what again? That was Adon Olam, written by Rabbi Gershom Sizomu, who's a Ziegler grad, a Ziegler rabbi from University of Judaism in my class, who is now the chief rabbi of Uganda and a member of parliament. So we'll hear one more from their community that Gershom wrote, and this takes the accent question that we're talking about one step further. This is Hine Matov, and... We we can talk soon about using English in our liturgical music as a way for people who are less fluent in Hebrew to access the ideas behind the prayers. So this is the Lugandan version of that. Uh, you'll hear Hine Matov, call and response, and then you'll hear uh, the translation into the Ugandan dialect. And Rabbi Gershon will call and the children and community will respond and you'll hear a back and forth. So it's a great reminder that it's okay to pray and sing in your own language as well. Nice. Laba wekulia kulungi wekusanyusa Aburu ganda okutula Ine matavu umanaimu Sheveti ahim gamu ya hadu Ine matavu umanaimu Sheveti ahim gamu ya hadu Laba wekulia kulundi wekusanyusa Aburu ganda okutula Laba wekulia kulundi wekusanyusa Aburu ganda okutula Hine matavu umanaimu Sheveti ahim gamu ya hadu Hine matavu umanaimu Sheveti ahim gamu ya hadu Okay, that was that was nice. So what, what was it that uh, we were going to try to do coming up? Well, I wanted to just mention that Rabbi Jeff Summit of Tufts Hillel has been, excuse the pun, instrumental over <laughs> the last few decades of recording and, and archiving the music of Uganda. So if you're interested, you can go through the Smithsonian website and look up uh, Uganda, Ugandan Jewish Music, or Rabbi Gershom Sizomu, S-I-Z-O-M-U, and you should be able to find a few albums that were put together by Rabbi Summit, who's a wonderful ethnomusical uh, leader as well as an inspirational Hillel rabbi. So the final 
piece in the equation uh, for the Uganda Jewish experience that we'll talk about is a version of Am Yisrael Hai that started, that the core of the melody started in this community, this Ugandan community, and a well-known Jewish singer-songwriter named Noam Katz, who came out of the reform song-leading camp movement and is very popular today uh, in the camp world, he heard this melody and kind of Americanized it in the sense of making it cool and singable and beboppable and um, accessible to like camp kids and I think it's a nice example of that diaspora spirit and those those influences those influential melodies traveling around the globe and everybody getting to cross pollinate so that we can uh, use these melodies here at our camps
So that was a Shabbat song. Yeah, Am Yisrael Chai is sort of an anthem of Jewish life and spirit can be sung in any context. So there is a an end of Shabbat song that you wanted us to experience? So Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, uh, there's many melodies for it. The one that's most commonly known is Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishmi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hagiladi. Beautiful. Well done, everybody. I wanted to go back to our friends, the Solomon brothers, uh, Yehuda Solomon being the lead singer now of the Moshev band with his brothers and others backing him up. And this is a melody for... I actually don't think I have this melody. Okay. By David Rosa, but... Okay. So you can all find it at home. Uh, Eliyahu Hanavi by the Moshev band really kind of cool, relaxed, but still plaintive with that sense of Shabbat is over and uh, we wish we could hold on to it just a little bit longer. Are we going to play the version we do have? That's up to you. We can. Yeah, I like it. It's a good, good version to part of David Rose's song, Eliyahu Hanavi. I wanted to ask you a question I'm curious about. Uh, it hasn't been, well, I think maybe since the 70s uh, that women have been uh, ordained as rabbis. That's right. So it's been now, you know, over 30 years, more than that. Yeah. And what is your perspective now on women rabbis in the conservative movement, and, and if you know, in the reform movement as well? Sure, sure. Well, I was lucky enough to grow up with wonderful models of co-rabbis, Rabbi Roberto Gretz and Rabbi Judy Shanks uh, at Temple Isaiah. Um, 
and they were really two of the first co-rabbis rather than the man rabbi being on some higher hierarchy um, and sort of excusing it away as just the structure of the synagogue. They really made a point to be um, partners. And uh, Rabbi Gretz recently retired in May, uh, Mazel Tov, Rabbi Gretz, and Rabbi Shanks is now the senior rabbi of the synagogue. And um, the the next generation of of young rabbis are starting there as well. Um, so that was my model. I always had uh, women rabbis that I was able to look up to and women cantors, and I was able to be on the bima. And so I really grew up in an egalitarian um, household. In the conservative movement, there was a little more struggle. The reform movement started ordaining women about 10 years before the conservative movement, which is not unusual in terms of social justice issues and acceptance in the movements. And that goes back to, I think, our discussion about halakha and music and wanting to really make sure that the halakha is supportive of the social decisions. And that can be a slower process, even if our morality wants us to charge ahead. So... um, that has happened in the conservative movement. Um, there are amazing role models, including Rabbi Amy Eilberg, Rabbi Nina Feinstein, uh, Sally Priesen was the first ordained rabbi in the reform movement. One of my ancestors, Rabbi Regina Jonas, we're not positive she's related, but I like to say we're related because that's our family name on my mother's side, going further back to Germany. Uh, She was ordained in a living room in the early 30s uh, in the reform movement. She was supposed to be part of a big ordination ceremony, but there's so much pressure from the Orthodox to not publicly ordain her that it became a private ceremony. Uh, She was a chaplain. She was a teacher, itinerant, and went all over Germany freelancing. Eventually, was partnering with Viktor Frankl in the camps and helping people who were arriving at the camps to kind of orient. And she gave secret sermons and secret lessons in the camp, which were eventually found. Um, So her legacy is actually uh, 40 years before Rabbi Sally Priceand. In terms of the conservative movement today, I think we've got somewhere between between 30 and 40 percent of all the conservative movement rabbinical assembly rabbis are women i like to say women not female because we have a full identity um that we're bringing to the table and i think musically there's a certain sensitivity and um I don't want to say femininity because that goes too far, but just a certain sense of being a woman and having a certain spiritual connection that can help us access the music and whether we're composing or leading services, just bring another dimension. There are a lot of amazing male uh, service leaders as well, and it's just great to have a diversity of voices literally and figuratively leading worship. What? What will it take for the Orthodox to, to catch up? Well, they're definitely working on it. There are amazing women who are paving the way. Um, Maharat Sarah Hurwitz, who was ordained by Avi Weiss uh, out in New York, who is now the dean of a rabbinical school for women connected with the modern and open Orthodox movement. There are a number of women who are serving in congregations all across the country. I can picture half a dozen uh, inspiring people my age 
right now as we're talking i'm not going to name names but who are really doing the work part of it is a question of title part of it is a question of function in a synagogue so for many decades uh, orthodox women have been um, helping jewish women on matters of personal halakha whether it's how to deal with mikvah and menstruation or uh, relationship issues or how to make the perfect challah which is a little more surface but also can be a jumping point to a spiritual relationship um, certainly teaching and giving divrei torah at synagogue uh, a lot of the halakhic issues are narrowed down into the, the concept of kol isha which i'm sure you've spoken about on this show about the voice of a woman um, which is the flip side of what i just said that it can be uh, erotic in some way or attractive in some way and is that a distraction or is that uh in addition to the spiritual experience and depending on your cultural milieu you might find it a distraction and if the main purpose of your prayer is to serve god you really want to be focused so that's the orthodox approach to leading services there are many orthodox women serving in synagogues now uh, there's more and more i should say who are doing everything uh, that a male rabbi would do except for leading services and i also think that there'll be settings there are settings where women are fully participating even if the perhaps seating is is not mixed for example so it's not impossible it may it may slowly evolve Evolve. it it is evolving and there's all over the world uh or all over our country anyway and understanding that women's leadership uh has a place and a voice and a real potential for impact and that may or may not be a political statement about the election season <laughs> okay was there another song we were going to listen to or no Just to close out okay talk about what's going on. yeah what are you up to these days I'm grateful to have just finished. I'm grateful to have been serving at Congregation Colomet in Palo Alto for seven years as my first rabbinic position. And I'm also grateful to have closed that chapter and to be uh, on sabbatical on the Shemitah year. This is my eighth year. I finished seven years as a rabbi and now I'm... um, supposed to be taking a breath uh, although I'm engaged in lots of interesting contract work um, serving the community in different ways so I'm working for JCRC right now helping them with workshops for teens and parents uh, to introduce the concepts of BDS and how to counter and deal with and speak to people who have been influenced by the BDS movement on high school and college campuses. BDS is Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions from Israel, uh, which is a a complicated area, but you can certainly check it out online and check out JCRC and stand with us on their resources on how how to deal with that. That's one piece I'm doing. I'm teaching lots of Jewish yoga around the community uh, every second Shabbat morning at Congregation Beth David in Saratoga I'll be teaching a couple times back at Kolomet um, some high holiday yoga and uh, weekly middle school yoga tefillah yoga worship at Hausner Jewish Day School in Palo Alto uh, a few more gigs um, I'm excited to be scholar in residence at Kol Shofar uh, in Tiburon the weekend of September 9th through 11th and there's a few other things in the works um, 
maybe working with uh, the Jewish Healing Center. I'm working with Hadassah to help put on a young women's conference in the spring, et cetera, et cetera. So my litmus test is if it's meaningful and interesting, uh, then I'm happy to be helpful to the community. Wow, you are a busy person. On a sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. I, we are so grateful that you were able to come here and and uh, talk with us because I, that was way interesting. Oh. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Shall we? Um, yeah, we're going to end with something a little different. We've been talking a lot about Shabbat. And uh, as my hosts know, I've got a playlist of over 100 pieces we could have chosen from. Uh, so we're going to move to Hanukkah, actually. And you may have heard of a famous comedian, Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat, etc. And his brother, Aaron, E-R-R-A-N, Baron Cohen, uh, they're both Jewish from England originally, is a musician. And he edited a really cool Hanukkah CD. And this is uh, Rock of Ages, which is otherwise known as Maotsur. And it's in English, and it just has like a chill, funky vibe that I think modern people of all generations can get into. And I offer it to you as inspiration for again using English to access that spiritual energy of whatever time, day, week, season or holiday we're in Awesome Let our song praise your saving power. You amidst the raging foes, we're our sheltering tower. Sheltering tower. Sheltering tower. Sheltering tower. Ages, let our song praise your saving power. You amidst raging foes, we're our sheltering tower. In my sheltering tower, sheltering tower. Beast. With a 
So how uh, does someone find out about uh, one of your classes? How do they get involved in in what you do? Yeah, I'd love to have uh, Vallejo folks trek down to the South Bay. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. Um, Feel free to email me at Rabbi Matzkin, M-A-T-Z-K-I-N, the number one, at gmail.com. Rabbi Matzkin, one at gmail.com if you want to follow up on anything. Uh, and I'll be teaching an expanded version of this conversation at Beth David in Saratoga, uh, I think Wednesday mornings throughout November, excluding Thanksgiving week. We'll do a four-part session. So if anyone wants to come down to that, we'll, we'll flesh all this out a little more. And um, I'll try to post some of my yoga classes on my Facebook page. You can email me if you want to be on there, or you can look for Makom Yoga on Facebook, M-A-K-O-M. I got to post something so they don't shut it down anyway, so it's a great excuse. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was one of the more fascinating things we've ever had here. I agree. Wow, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So let's... uh, do some regular music here for a minute. How about uh, Seven. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. We're going to be listening to Gilad Segev singing Achshav Tov. Uh, now it's good and um, it talks about time since 17 years ago. Something happened and seven, it's already 7.30 so it goes with our theme of time tonight. And after that we are going to go to Sweet Little Sweet is singing uh, Little Willie. Uh, way past one and feeling all right, because when Little Willie's round, they can last all night. This was written by Nicholas Barry Chin, who's Jewish, and Mike Chapman, who's not so much. Then we have various artists singing. Okay, we're probably saying that because I think we did that in our. Okay, so we're going to stop with uh, Chicago singing 25 or 6 to 4. And one of the lines in the, the lyrics was sitting cross-legged on the floor, 25 or 6 to 4. And one of the band's labels is Warner Brothers, which was founded by Jews. Enjoy that set. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Oscat Radio. You're listening to Caldivar, and tonight's theme is time. And we were pleased to just say goodbye to our uh, visitor, um, Rabbi Mats- Matskin, and we've been listening to some music this set, uh, other than what she had brought. And you heard Chicago just now, and then prior to that, we heard Sweet singing Little Willie, and prior to that, we had. Um, I think Gilad Segev singing Achshav Tov. So coming up, we have Paul Simon singing Still Crazy After All These Years. And then Joe Walsh singing Life's Been Good. Uh, Walsh has been part of several bands uh, besides the Eagles, including Ringo Stars. Uh, Starr is married to Barbara Bach, who was born Barbara Goldbach. He also has recorded on several Jewish-founded labels, including Atlantic and Warner Brothers. I go to parties sometimes until four. It's hard to leave when you can't find the door. That's one of the lyrics. After that, we have Arik Einstein and Shem Tov Levi singing Shalosh Arba Le'avodah. Three, four, go to work. And in the song, it also mentions morning and evening. And then we have Joe Cocker singing High Time We Went. This was recorded on A&M Records, uh, which was found, did by Herb Albert, Albert, sorry, and Jerry Moss, who are both Jews. Well, it's five o'clock in the morning. Feel just like the end of a mule. Somebody's been yawning, trying to break out the rules. Yes, it's high time we went. So that's Joe Cocker. I'm going to try one more, and then I hope you enjoyed the set. The next one's also in Hebrew. It's uh, by Ilanit, and it is Kfar Acharei Chatzot. It's already after midnight, and it, it's kind of cute. They haven't says that they haven't yet turned off the moon because before lights out, the lights of stars give another small moment to lovers. So we're talking about midnight. So enjoy that set. I met my old lover on the street last night. She seems...
走。